Hello and welcome to this week's Cross the Bridge with the Artificial Hipsters. My name is Kieran Casey. And my name is Jim Corbett. So, Jim, um, mm. let's start with your moment of the week, please. My moment of the week. Um, my moment of the week really was the... Uh, one of the things that you've actually raised as well in the past, which was the uh, speech by that young uh, Irish lawyer. Um, Lennon Negralic. That's it. And that was what I was really going to say. Because I, now there's an interest in there, mm. because I thought I must learn how to, exactly how to pronounce that. So I went onto the internet and put it in to see how it should be spelt. And some bloody um, YouTube AI bot got hold of it and came up with Blenany Harley. Well, I think the Blenany bit's all right, but Harley, I, I thought it was more like Grawley or something. Yeah, I think it's I think it's Negrolig is 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 the right Negrolig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that AIGH can come out in different ways. It can, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then yeah. there's different pronunciations of Irish. So you will have like dialects from Kerry and Galway and Donegal will be different. Mm. And so but yeah, look, we're we're anyway, so that I was pleased uh, that I managed to find out how to say that. And also, I did listen to the whole of her speech. Good. And I'm now a bit behind the times now. And it was most impressive, as I talked mm. about that, as mm. a condemnation of the processes of warfare. Mm. Um, I would say it would be difficult for it to be bettered. It was uh, it was an excellent speech. I don't agree with the context in with what she came to. Sure. I didn't agree with the. I don't. I still think, and people, I think everybody probably in the world will disagree with me on this. I don't think it's genocide. Mm. I think it is um, something which should certainly be avoided if possible. I think all uh, armed action should be avoided if possible because the consequences are A, incalculable, and B, always horrible. Mm. So um, I don't have any problem. Um, we're saying we really ought to try and find a better way of doing this. I'm not quite sure what a better way is. Yeah. Um, and I think it takes two to tango. So I think if we could be sure that the Israelis, on the one hand, were going to uh, play ball, mm. uh, <clears throat> and on the other hand, that Hamas and their various backers uh, were actually also, for the only time in their history, going to be a bit even-minded about it and and try to reach mm. some sort of genuine peace. I fear that Hamas is the only true genocidists in in the in the game because that's almost been their raison d'etre since they were founded. But the speech itself was excellent. So I was pleased to have um listened to that and it was certainly very, very thought provoking. Mm. And uh, I think she could be one to watch. Yeah. Good. Good. Um, yeah, the only comment I'd make is that um, I know this will be frustrating to hear, but it, it's not necessarily right to compare Hamas to the Israeli government, um, and nor is it right to expect the behaviours of a terrorist organisation to be compared to the behaviours of an established elected government, democratic government 
that has a such an influence with lots of other democratic governments across the world and so many connections and and is an ally effectively of all those governments. So I get what you're saying, um, but you know I, I, that's an interesting line, you know, because I think we could have changed places because if you say. Okay, we know that Hamas is a is a terrorist organization, mm. and we can't hold. They're not going to play ball on this, you know. That's because that's not what they are. Then you're left with military action. Yeah, against Hamas, and yes. and, and, and but but the fundamental argument I think that's been made in the International Court of Justice um, that South Africa, the fundamental point they're making is that. Israel's response is not sufficiently targeted against Hamas. It is a genocidal response against the Palestinians and the people in Gaza. I think it's it, the circumstances of that battle, if you like, war, call it what you like, um, are that Hamas is deliberately embedded within the the, 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 the population yeah. who are probably too scared to do anything else. Um, and so, you know, where does that take you? I well, don't know. What it, do we do it, about it, these hundreds of miles of tunnels? How do you blow them up without anybody getting hurt? Well, it, it, <clears> it brings <throat> us to a common position, which the, the fundamental victims here, whether they're being victimised by Hamas or victimised by uh, Israel, are the Palestinian people living in Gaza, um, who 20-odd thousand of them, have been killed since this thing started. So, and it it's look we won't because we're we're we're, no, we I, we're I have to take it. I'd have to take the olive branch that was extended in, in your acknowledgement. <laughs> yeah, and I'll so, and I'll decide not to get to to blow your head off. <laughs> so I won't I won't go any further. So yeah, good moment, good moment. Um, good. I'm going to wrap my moment and my moan in together because uh, I was on a call on Friday morning when the news broke that Jurgen Klopp was leaving Liverpool. Mm. And it was interesting because um, it came in on a WhatsApp group, which uh, essentially is myself, uh, my three sons, and one of my son's best friends, Dan, who is part of the Liverpool supporters group. And um, you do mix with some shady people, don't I? Um, mm. and, and and this was the breaking news. And and like when it came in, we're kind of good at filtering out the fake news, but we did, everyone felt it was a bit of a joke. And then, like, I was on a call still and I got distracted and I looked onto the RT website, and there it was. And I have to say, it had a profound effect, it was almost mm. like a bereavement when it, it landed for absolutely, it. yeah, and very, very difficult. You. To process and um, and it's such a shock. It was such a shock as well. I don't think there's anything that has happened in in recent times that had such a of a shock wave of yeah. an impact. Well, and, do, do we know why he did it? Well, I watched his videos and he just said himself he's running out of energy and um, it seems like it's a very mature call. Mm. Uh, I I'll go while I still have the energy, but I don't think I'll have it at the end of the season. Um. But anyway, I, I look. I mean, having got over it, and and you know, we all talked together about it. One thing that it kind of struck me was: um, Do you remember in two thousand and two, Alex Ferguson announced he was going to retire? I do. I remember it well. And end up at the end of the season, he was going to retire, and didn't. Then, so he stayed on. 
Mm. Um, but the impact of his announcement, um, United were going reasonably well, and I think the wheels came off the team. Essentially, the post analysis of that was that by announcing when he did, he sort of lost the dressing room, and maybe the players didn't feel that his you know his authority might have been diluted somewhat, and so the team didn't perform as well as they could have. And I was thinking as to whether something like this might happen with uh, with Klopp's announcement. And the two things, well, I suppose fundamentally um, the difference between Klopp and and Ferguson, now two great football managers, but we've yes. often talked about leadership and styles of leadership. Yes. And mm-hmm. I think what, what Ferguson had was a style of leadership that was built fundamentally on fear. Yes. Um, where I think Klopp's authentic leadership style is built fundamentally on love. Mm. And the reason I think that he's going to get a positive response from the players, and that was evidenced when they played Norwich in the FA Cup on Sunday, um, is that the players just absolutely love him. And I think mm. they will go through a wall for him um, from now till the end of the season. And there, there's no sense of a relief when he announced that he was moving, which I suspect some players in the 2002 season for Man United might have felt a sense of relief mm. that this brilliant manager, but maybe in their minds, a bit of a tyrant, has moved on. Um, and so their attitudes and mindsets shifted as a result. So but, the yeah. reason why it's a moan to lose him, the positive side of the moment is I don't think there is going to be a better motivated and focused team in the Premier League, whether that's in the FA Cup, the League Cup, Europe, Europa Cup, or Premier League games uh, between now and the end of the season, than this Liverpool team. I think you're probably right. I think Manchester City are going to run out of path and may run out of money and may run out of uh, points if uh, anything well, comes of their stuff. Yeah, that'd be really interesting if that bubbles up in the next oh, few weeks or months. Well, well, if it's going to, I yeah, mean, they're yeah. obviously looking into it. And yeah. having been so tough on Everton, yeah, um, yeah, I can't see how they can not be equally tough. Yeah, if you find City involved in, yeah, uh, you know, the same thing. In fact, on a much greater scale, if what you read is one hundred and fifteen allegations, apparently. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's ridiculous. Anyway, but, I mean, it's interesting that that hard man, soft man routine often works in the. Um, Mm. In the in the dressing room, I remember the great days of the Arsenal were great. I shouldn't say great; they were never great. But I mean, in the, the, their high point with Bertie Me, yeah, this is going yeah. back a long time now into the, the sort of late sixties. Um, he always had Don Howe as his backup man, mm-hmm. who was as hard as nails. Yeah, and the great Spurs double Spurs team, and up to the end to the seventies. Bill Nicholson was always Mr. Nice Guy and Eddie Bailey was his attack dog. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I wonder, it seems Ferguson was both. Well, no, Ferguson was the attack dog, really. Yeah. So they don't seem to, they they often come with a sidekick. Yeah. You know, Pochettino's got one. Uh, they've all got one. Yeah. But I don't know. I think, uh, anyway, we'll have to think about who's going to replace him. Yeah, that's for another day. Uh, probably Xabi Alonso uh, looks like he's the bookies' favourite and yeah. certainly would be a big favourite of the Liverpool fans. Anyway, we promised not to get bogged down on football. Yeah, we do. Um, 
So my moan and moment are wrapped up. It only leaves your moan of the week. Right. Well, my moan, actually, it came out of something I was reading about um, about the uh, UNHCR in mm. uh, and uh, the, the the other one, UNHRW, whatever it is, where they've found that ten of their people appear to have been personally involved in Hamas terrorism and so on. And that led me on something. I don't know. I'm only going by what I've seen in the press on that. I, I mean, it seems to be true. They were very quick to sack them. So um, we'll see. But I assume it is true. But I saw another account that said um, that they sacked them that quick because they didn't want much of an investigation into what's going on elsewhere. And it said that, um, no, I'm only saying this at the moment. I'll, I'll clarify it all qualify in a minute that 10,000 UNHRW teachers were recorded on TikTok as having applauded when they heard about all the um, murders that took place when the Hamas incursion took place on the 7th of October yeah mm. and I thought to myself 10,000 mm. 10,000 is that really right out there, surely they haven't got 10,000 teachers yeah. in Gaza, in the UNHLW. I can't think that that's true. And what that took me on to is how careful you have to be about the sources of news that you get these days. And it's only going to get dramatically worse. Um, you know, with these AI bots and God knows what, ably abetted by Oh, you know, bad players, I suppose, bad actors who yeah. uh, deliberately foment unrest with untruths. Yeah. And to pick them out is so hard because the, the article I read is from someone normally uh, I would trust most of what she says. Mm. But on this occasion, I've got to say, oh, I don't know about that. That really does sound a bit overblown to me. Well, one fact check on that is that the United Nations, um, the, you're talking about the UNRWA, which is the United Nations Relief and Works Agency. That's right. it, it employs 13,000 people. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not just in Gaza. Well, they can't all be teachers and, yeah. and they can't all be in Gaza. And anyway, <clears throat> um, this was allegedly on TikTok. Mm. How did you get mm. 10,000 people? I suppose you could get 10,000 people who ticked something or, you know, yeah, expressing, but yeah. that's not the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I think they're bloody liability. Some of these websites or online social. Well, the whole misinformation. Um, well, I think this is something we're going to come back to again and again this year mm. with with the elections that are going to happen in the US and the UK. Absolutely, uh, it's something we're going to have to watch out for. Um, yeah, right. Good. So. What struck me uh, when we were thinking about what we might talk about, given we talked last week as well about the uh, racket hall protests in uh, um, in Russ Gray, and I think we were trying to make a case that there may be some reasonable people there that you know felt that something should be said, and um, you know then may have been portrayed in a way that wasn't fair. Um, and at the same time, you know, we see other protests that are happening around the world. Um, 
just over the weekend, um, the Mona Lisa was yeah. uh, someone through soup. I think it was with the farmers that were protecting about um, uh, healthy and sustainable food. Um, sorry, I don't want to blame farmers. Maybe it wasn't farmers. Um, <laughs> no, it was. Then, it was some. Um, it was the usual suspects. It was some very middle class looking young ladies looking terribly narcissistic and and self promoting, standing in front of it wearing. Um, yeah. T-shirts that said something like "Vegetable Lives Matter" or something. I don't know. It was just something about vegetables. There was some reference though about our farmers are dying at work as well. Um, so, was there? yeah, I thought oh, there was some connection to. Anyway, irrespective of the substance of their complaint, yes, um, is that is that form of protest acceptable? And it kind of got me thinking to maybe an exam question for this discussion would be. What is an acceptable form of protest, irrespective of the merits of your complaint? And at what point does a protest step over a line? What is that line where it becomes an unacceptable way? Again, irrespective of the merits of your complaint, it it becomes an unacceptable way of bringing that to the attention of others, mm. which is I'm, 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 I'm suspecting is the primary goal of a protest is to bring an issue to the minds of others. Maybe that's a, maybe that maybe that maybe that's that 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 assumption that I've just made there. Maybe that needs to be challenged a little bit. Well, I was just thinking to myself, you know, why were these two women standing in front of a picture of the Mona Lisa when it would be very difficult to find any connection? between the Mona Lisa and its artist, Leonardo, that's uh, anything whatsoever to do with what they're protesting about. And, of course, the answer is that they only want to go to where they will get publicity. It's a publicity exercise, um, which almost means more than a protest itself. And so that's why they have... Um, they do this sort of thing. In the case of the Mona Lisa, there was, of course, some um, person of diminished responsibility who attacked it with a pair of scissors or something some years ago and actually did real damage to it. But they've now got a huge, big armour glass sheet in front of it. So the actual painting itself was not damaged in any way by this particular protest. But it's a shame we have to do that um, to, to see it. You've gone very quiet. Sorry, Jim. Um, is isn't the point of the protest to maximise publicity for an issue? Yes. Uh, while there's no direct, yes, so no connection. Okay, so media. what I'm thinking is, you you get, of course, the just stop oil stuff. A lot of that's exactly hmm. the same. Now, what I was thinking about this particular one with the Mona Lisa is that, okay, you could have a demo in front of it. Mm. You could have a demo outside the Louvre so that you could people could see you. Why would you want to do something which might damage it? This is this is a, an international work of civilized art which belongs to all of us. Why would you want to damage that icon of, well, they of didn't, beauty they, and so on? And I'm not an apologist for these protests, mm. but they didn't damage it. Yeah, but they didn't and, know they weren't going to, did they? And we wouldn't be talking about this 
we would not be talking about this. This would no, not no. have been on the news headlines around the world. Um, if we they wouldn't be criticising them either. If they had simply stood outside in front of the... Well, you see, then, I think that's a, that's a good point because, you know, we've both been on demos all over the place. We've marched through the streets of London or possibly either marched through the streets of Dublin, maybe you have, I don't know. I have, yeah. um, and, you know, supported different things. My Actually, Anna and Sam, my daughter and her husband or her partner, they uh, they often do that now for yeah. all sorts of things. And they don't necessarily – now, I don't want to put words into their mouths, but I don't think they necessarily do it because they know they're going to be part of a massive protest. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. They do it because they think it's worth making a stand and saying, showing people that they actually believe something different or something's yeah. wrong or something yeah. should be changed. And, you know, from little acorns, great oaks can grow. So you, I would never um, say you shouldn't do some sort of demo. I'd ne I certainly wouldn't do that. Mm. Um but I do think if you're going to do something which is likely to cause considerable upset to people, then it's really got to be something that has a lot of support, not not just a few people wanting to uh, look good, you know, dressed in orange on a snooker table uh, as if to... Uh, it's all narcissistic. I remember years ago when Harold Wilson was prime minister and he was coming under fire for um, his attitude towards the Vietnam War. Mm. They didn't take part in it, but they certainly didn't oppose it either. He sort of semi-supported America. And that was the cause of some dis you know, dissatisfaction, certainly in the Labour Party and on the left. And I remember he was coming to open something or other. I think it was in... It was in Parliament Hill, I think, uh, in the big park in London. It was some, I think he was putting up some statue or something being put up. And he came in and he had to drive. They wouldn't let him walk through all the crowds that were there to this place, which was some hundreds of yards from the nearest road. So he went in his official car through the pathways in Hampstead Heath. And as he was coming back, I remember there was a bloke a sort of self-consciously Hampstead intellectual type. And there was mm. a lot of them around there then. And he suddenly ran out from the crowd and went down on his knees very theatrically in front of Wilson's car and put his arms up in the air and said, stop the bombing, right, like that. And he was promptly rolled down the uh, bank towards the pond by a police inspector, and that was the end of his uh, little demonstration. But the time... It occurred to me that actually that was terribly self-indulgent of him. He didn't mm. achieve anything. It was never even reported in the papers. Mm. You know, and, and and Wilson, I think he'd seen a lot worse than that in his time. Mm. So, you know, I don't know why he did that. If it wasn't for some sort of self-motivation, that. Uh, well, what about you know. the what about the amazing image you just reminded me <clears> of, um, of uh, in Tiananmen Square? Oh yeah, and that young. Um, I, 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 we always seem to call them students, but 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 just that young solo protester standing in front of a tank. Yes, it's a it's very strong image. An incredible image. Yeah. Um, and that was a really powerful protest, wasn't it? 
Yes, it was. I mean, he was one of thousands in the square, of course. Well, there wasn't yeah. thousands there by the time the Chinese army had finished with him. But, um, yes, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that sort of thing should be banned or shouldn't be done or anything. But what's the but criteria think, then? What is the criteria? Well, I think individual I, I, peaceful protest is all has always got to be all right. You but, sort of implied, though, as well, that the – I mean, you, you said a couple of things there, just to – one is that um, only if there is some support. But, yes. But but the well, idea I of think, a protest is that you're going to bring to the attention an well, issue what to I'm people. Saying is, yeah, but in, in, there's different ways of doing it. I think if in the process you cause significant disruption and even hurt to some degree, to innocent people just going about their lives, trying to get the kids to school or yeah. trying to get to work or whatever. I think there has to be something of some wider support involved in what you're doing. Mm. I think for you know a few people to suddenly decide to spray Churchill Orange's statue in the Parliament Square and just stand around shouting and screaming at people... I don't believe in vandalism as a as a process of mm. of um but there's two different things there. Demos. Yes, there is. One is the nature of of the support you may or may not have. Mm. And the second is the nature of the actions that you take. So even if you do have strong support for a particular protest, it's still unacceptable to upset the Well, the, I would I would think if are, you had, I mean, for example, uh, during the um, was it the late seventies? Might no, it's probably the early eighties when the uh, the Tories were putting their Industrial Relations Act through Parliament, and the mm. Labour Party was up in arms, and we all went on this huge kill the bill demo. And I remember it was me and me dad and me brother. We were all on it, um, <clears throat> and it was a massive march through London, and there were hundreds of thousands of people on that march. Now, of course, it was terribly disruptive. It was also a bit of a tourist attraction because lots of people standing there watching because we marched right through from Finsbury Park to Hyde Park, basically, and we walked down uh, Oxford Street and you know, it was all sorts of places. It was great, actually. I've never walked down the middle of Oxford Street before, but anyway. Um, and it was, it was fair enough doing that. Mm. There was some disruption, but at least we'd... It was extremely well um, stewarded, yeah, marshaled yeah. generally, uh, and it was it was also because it was largely organised by the TUC, not the Labour Party, um, and it was also uh, done on a Sunday. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't you know interrupted. All the shops are shut anyway. Mm. There was no violence. There was no vandalism. There was no smashing and looting and all that stuff, and that struck me as. A fantastic demo because it got enormous coverage mm. on the news all over the place for days afterwards. Mm. And it brought that that project, that didn't make any difference as it turns out, but it brought that issue right to the forefront. It was mm. all splashed all over the papers the next day, you know, hundreds of thousands marched through mm. uh, London against Thatcher's bill and all that stuff. Um, so that, that achieved its objective and it did it in a way that was peaceful that uh, discommoded the minimum number of people, and in fact, hardly annoyed anybody anyway, because you they always break these marches so you can cross the road if you need to and things like that. Yeah. Um, so that was fine. Mm. But I think something else 
like uh, there was another one some years ago, which is a smaller number. People have to be more extreme when there's smaller numbers, I, sometimes, I think. Um, so you get instances of looting or the march itself is taken as an opportunity for that sort of behaviour by bad actors who just join in for the for what they can get. Mm. Uh, that's that's not right. But then they're not demonstrating, actually. Most of the time they're just looters. So that's a criminal yeah, act. Yeah, I mean, the, the um, I think I think people who go out and see an opportunity to I don't know, whatever kind of way of of getting at the police or, or, mm. or, or but if you go back and it's funny now you even mentioned during Thatcher's era, um, I mean the poll tax marches, yeah, minor strike, yeah. The the protests uh, down on Wapping. Do you remember when they were moving the? I do, very well. Um, there was a lot of discontent and a lot of protest. Well, on I the think street, yeah, there, there certainly was. Yeah, there was. I mean, and, I and, think the uh, minor strike produced some of the nastiest. Did yeah, yeah. Um, outbreaks of almost of insurrection, but yeah, you know, yeah. the police put them down with yeah. considerable prejudice. Um, yeah, and. Okay, I don't know. Maybe they've been told to do that. I don't know what it was, and maybe the miners were were pissed off to the eyeballs, which I, I know they were. Mm. Um, I don't think they all supported sort of violent approach, but they certainly supported a vigorous approach. I think. Um, I think that. that there, yeah. I think that. Yeah, there that there is a. Um, I suppose there are those levels of protest, aren't there? Where mm. consequences of the issue that you're you're on the streets for can be just so deep. And and I think in some areas of the UK that the idea of closing down the mines had such a enormous impact on the community and the, the welfare of people that it took the, you know, it, it did hit deep, didn't it, in terms of their emotional response. So yes, it did on, uh, the, on the pickets and on those. I mean, it was you so- see, I think the trouble about the miners strike and you remember, I know you remember, you know, collecting money for the miners and so on on a Saturday morning and so on, which we did quite often. I mm. quite often get the money thrown at me. People who looked, they thought they were, yeah, you know, uh, putting the money into something else. And you told them, they asked what it was for, and you said it was for the miners. They'd take mm. a different effect. Now, some people were supportive. A lot of people weren't. Yeah. And I don't think the miners had huge national support. They had a lot of support. Mm. But I don't think they had huge national support. Indeed, half of the mining union wasn't on strike at all. All no, those pits in, in there was a split, in, wasn't there? In yeah. Nottinghamshire, yeah. which is yeah. some yeah. of the most yeah. valuable pits in the country. Yeah, um, they were still working. Yeah, um, and I think the miners let themselves down there because um, in Nottingham, their line was they wanted a ballot. That's right. Specifically on the strike, which hadn't yeah. been held at that point. Yeah. And Scar, in fact, it never was held. And Scargill refused. They're voting with their feet, was Scargill's line. Right. Yeah, yeah. See, well, Scargill, Scargill was an insurrectionist. Scargill mm. was an open communist. He knew what he was doing. He wasn't, he, he quite liked the idea of violent protest yeah. and uprising. I mean, that's what he did. Well, um, it's an interesting so, question, Jim. So the question is, where's his support coming from? Well, where's an interesting question then? If you go back on that in history, because it, it, uh, I've often thought about this, and if you had a different leader, if you had a different type of leader than mm. than Scargill, um, well, his predecessor Joe Gormley would have made a lot of difference. Do you think that the, Do you think that the um, we would have ended up with the same result or a different result? Well, um, I think 
You see, it wasn't just uh, Scargu, it was he's at the other Obadi uh, Mick McGahey, the two main leaders of the union in this uh, contretemps, were both of the same cut from the same cloth. McGahey, mm. if anything, was even more extreme than Scargill. Mm. And they, they, you know, would brook no opposition and were not democratic because uh, they didn't believe in it and so mm. on. Now, Gormley, who'd been there previously, had led a significant strike mm. um, some years before. And they'd been on strike for a few weeks, but eventually a deal was struck with Mrs. Thatcher. Mm. And the deal was struck. She knew she didn't want to pay them. But she did. And the mm. reason she did was because our coal stocks at that time were low. So she they did that. They went back to work. She then encouraged the coal board to offer unlimited overtime to anybody who wanted to do it um, so that they could, you know, ostensibly make up the money they'd lost during the strike, the, the miners themselves. But in fact, what it was was to build up the coal reserves. So when the crunch actually came and Scargill was in charge, the nation had three years' worth of coal stocked yeah. up, ready to go. Yeah, yeah. And um, so there was never a chance yeah. that that action was going to wring the neck of Thatcher yeah. cap capitalism. You know, yeah. There was never a chance that was going to happen anyway. So that particular one, it was interesting. I think the one that was um, – and there was some really nasty stuff in those demos, and as you remember, was that bloke Blair – was it Blair Peach? Was, no, that was another thing. He got killed in something. Yeah, yeah, anyway. I that name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so that, that that one was was very nasty. But others, I think, often it's because of the involvement of what we still have to call the far left. Um, you know, international Marxist group as it was, don't think exists anymore. Communist yeah. Party of Great Britain, Communist Party of Great Britain, Marxist Leninist. Leninist and all the other various iterations of Communist Party that you can think of with a lexicon at your your hand, mm. um, they deliberately foment violence. They deliberately foment insurrectionist mm. approaches. They're never mm. going to do it, but they, that's what they do. That's how, let's, they, let's, that's how they work. Let's come bring it back to then um, acceptable protests again. And we won't we won't labour industrial unrest, but no. Look at Mick Lynch's leadership of the yes. train workers. Would you, would you see that as being almost a case study in an acceptable protest? Bearing in mind that the protest did lead to striking mm. and discommoding people through withdrawal of labour. Well, I think or, industrial action mm. is a bit different from political demonstration. Yeah. Um, ultimately, any worker... At the moment, I don't know if it will always be this way, but any worker has the right to withdraw their labour. Yeah, this is a, a fact. They are a factor of production. Mm. Uh, companies understand very well yeah. that labour is something that is sold by individuals. Yeah, and uh, if they don't want to work for that money, they'll go somewhere else. Yeah, or they'll go on strike and try and get. I don't have much problem with that. Yeah, I mean it's it's a bloody nuisance, and when I'm trying to get. To into London from Heathrow on a strike weekend, as I've done a couple of times, it's you know, yeah. sometimes it makes you get a bit. Well, what uh, was interesting because I, I experienced some stressed. of that my visits to London. Um, what was interesting about that was that 
I didn't sense that the public mood was predominantly anger towards the the Ray Workers Union. I sense that the public mood in general, now just I, I know it depends on who you talk to, um, had some empathy with the Ray Workers Union or some uh, understanding of their situation and that there was more of a anger towards the government um, for not resolving the issues. Where, well, uh, yes. Would you accept I, that? Yes, and, I would. And, and, and why, what would you put that down to? Because well, you see, I don't. I see. I think you see. So many things get sort of melded together mm. uh, in these big uh, things. Of course, this was a political protest as well, because mm. it was a protest about the government's uh, industrial policies. It was privatization um, policies, privatization policies, and all the rest of it. Mm. Um, so one understands that. I think people have seen that most governments don't seem to be able to do privatization to save their bloody lives. Yeah. Um, they cock it up every time, or rather, I should say, the civil service cocks it up every time without fail. And I suspect that's because they don't want it to work. It can work and it does work, and you can mm. see it working all over the place. But we won't go into it. That's an, an argument for another day. But um, there was that political bit. But if you've got a very, very popular government, as Mrs. Sachs was at mm. that time, you find that people tend to go with the status quo more than they would otherwise do. Mm. So that's why the primarily the, the, the Yorkshire and the South Wales and the Scottish miners were isolated. Yeah. Uh, politically isolated. Well, there wasn't. There, there, are, there are no mines in the, in the well, conservative heartlands. Yeah. But in conservative heartlands, there's very few mines anyway. I mean, mining by its nature. There's, there's a lot in Nottinghamshire. And there was a lot in Yorkshire. But there's nothing, there's nothing in sort of... There yeah. used to be a big colliery in Kent, actually, but it's not. It, it doesn't yeah. operate anymore. But the point, my point is, that if the government of the day is popular, yeah, then a lot of that sort of um, action will fail. The miners' strike failed because people ultimately didn't support the miners, who were perceived, rightly as it turns out, as being the highest-paid industrial workers in Europe. Which mm. they were now. Okay, I know it's a bleeding horrible job, mm. and all the rest of it. But you know, there's a lot of people who earn a lot less than yeah. most miners being asked to, you know, support them when they thought, well, why should I? Uh, and Mrs. Satcher was extremely popular yeah. at that time. So, you know, there's all that with it. But now I, I, we're dealing I, I think... with a government that's incredibly unpopular, unpopular yeah. and has been for a long time. No, there's no question the popularity of the government is, is an important factor, but. I suppose the point I wanted to make, particularly around Mick Lynch and that strike action, was the communications and media management and the messaging around the issue mm. seemed it to be just so be much better. So oh, absolutely. Connected. Oh, so, he's uh, a consummate, consummate politician and communicator. Yeah, he's a wonderful communicator. Yeah. He really is. Yeah. Do you know who he reminds me of? He, um, your fella in, in Finchley, um, Mick. No. No, no, go on. Not Mick <laughs> no. reminds me. Reminds me of Ken Livingston. Do you yeah. remember when the GLC was being yeah, abolished? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Livingston, and he said it openly all over the place, all the time. Yeah. He said, I knew that we would not get a fair deal from the, the main broadcasting organisations or the papers or anything. Everybody thought the GLC was a huge waste of money and a ridiculous uh, mm. 
Mm. Ridiculous thing he said. So I thought I will take this straight to the people. Mm. And he did that by never refusing an interview, mm. always going anywhere to say anything, speaking direct to the microphones everywhere he went. Mm. Uh, so he got his message across, and it worked. Mm. I mean, it didn't stop the, rev- the, the, the thing, but it, it transformed his reputation. Yeah. But but is there so there bring this back to just general general protest, you know, and and it, and it could be let's outside of the realm of industrial relations. You need to have powerful communicators, don't you? You need Absolutely. people that can connect and communicate. Well, you see, hang on a minute. Isn't that idea of let's say mass protest? Let's assume it's lots of people walking through the streets mm. these days. That idea in itself is is quite old fashioned. It is. Because if you're a good communicator, if mm. you've got a command of the social media channels, if you can get your face on the telly, you will achieve so much more than a thousand people walking through the middle of London. Well, even the you know the hundred thousand people, <clears throat> whether it was London or Dublin or anywhere across the yeah. world, usually there was a a one or two leaders that had that communication capability yes. that rallied and motivated. And at the end of the march, that would deliver a keynote, you know, yeah. speak, uh, speech that would actually... Tony Ben or Michael Foote or all them uh, lot. Yeah. They're great speakers. Yeah. So um, it, 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 it's almost that one of the key ingredients, irrespective of the popularity of the government, I hear what you're saying about that, but irrespective of the popularity of the government, one of the key elements of a good pro- protest has to be one or two very, very powerful communicators. And yes. at a, you know, at a, at a human level, a human being that can actually stand up in front of others and speak in a way that people will connect with. So are protesters generally, are protests, they're lacking that a little bit at the moment, aren't they? They're lacking that, that leadership piece. Well, we're coming back to our favourite comment, which is how useless our politicians are these days. But you're right. I mean, if you look at people like Tony Benn, who was a wonderful orator, mm. um, I don't think he was such a great uh, minister myself, but mm. he was a wonderful orator. Michael Foote, I was once the only time I've ever got a letter in the Times. Yeah. I wrote a letter saying how, how um, I can't remember all the context of it, but basically I said Michael Foote had this fantastic ability to lacerate policy with words. Yeah. And he did. Yeah. You could listen. And it, when you listen to I heard him speak many times. And when you listen to him, he was raspy. His voice was very raspy, a bit high pitched. Mm. And um, he used to talk in fast sound bites. And gabble sometimes. You did. But yeah, it was yeah. like listening to a great piece of music and like listening to a, a chunk of Shakespeare. Yeah. The whole thing had a magic and a beauty yeah. to it, yeah. which carried you along. His look, his look as well. His look, his well, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, mad, mad professor. Look. But I went to, uh, you'll like this, I went to um, a vote no um, meeting in Central Hall, Westminster in 1976 when we had the referendum on the EU, mm. or the common market, as it was called then. Were we in or were we out? And that was addressed by Tony Benn, Barbara Castle, Eric Heffer, Michael Foote, um, oh, I can't remember, another couple, but these were all the great orators mm. of the Labour Party. 
just about all of them, nearly all on the left, actually. I don't know why, but they were. Mm. And it, that was an absolute, I went with my dad, and that was an absolutely electrifying night. Mm. It really was an electrifying night. Mm. And I hope that in my current stance, I am showing that that electrification still works. The, the current is still still its way around inside you. Um, yes, it is. Yeah. And, and so why is it that we, I mean, again, I think Lynch was a powerful, is a powerful communicator. Yes, leader of the, um, And I think I spoke about him before because yeah. he, he before, yeah. because there isn't many of them. Um, you know, I, I can't give you a list of people who are having such an impact on the public psyche about an issue that they are representing on behalf of a group of people for a cause mm. that they are absolutely passionate about. And you can take this then to whoever those um protesters were in 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 the in the Louvre who threw the yeah. like is it just an inability to, to communicate? Is like have they got something that is worth listening to? And if they do, have they, can't well, they quite, articulate it? Have they got anything to say above a, a few slogans? Mm. Have they got it upstairs to actually put together? Well, let's be generous. Let's be generous. And no. Let, let, well, why should I change the rules of a lifetime? Let's pretend for a moment that they have a very just <laughs> cause. That they're just not getting any kind of breakthrough because they don't have access to the mainstream media and they want to get something out there that they, they passionately believe is is for the betterment of humanity. Um, how how would you advise them to go about their protest? Well, I don't mean this um, in any way in a, in a sort of lightweight or or mocking style, but one of the most effective demonstrations. I ever saw in my life had no words. Mm. He, the, the person who did this, did not speak, and it was a um, Buddhist monk. Oh, yeah, who was protesting against the war in Vietnam, and he set yeah. himself alight. Yeah, that's amazing. And you'd see yeah. on the news it was there rolling about in flames. No, he didn't. You know, he sat. He sat there. Yeah, he did. And he didn't scream. He no. made no noise. Yeah, yeah. And that was the most. Compelling yeah, image, yeah. And you think, oh, hang on a minute, yeah. If this bloke's prepared to do this for God, of course he died. But if yeah. this bloke's prepared to do this, what the bloody hell's going on with this war, sort of thing, you know? Yeah. And yeah. and now I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't suggest that people should do anything remotely like that. Yeah. But yeah. I think doing something which maybe puts mm. you in prison for a while. Mm. Um, but not, but only something that not something that causes damage or injury, mm. or anything like that. But you know, if you, for example, oh, I don't know, if you um, hold down a Union Jack somewhere and set light to it or whatever, mm. um, people do do that sort of thing, of course. Um, I, yes, if it's something, if you do something that's I can't think of an example immediately that's not uh, dangerous. But the general theme of what you're saying is that do something that is demonstrates that it's not narcissistic, demonstrates that you are going to take a risk yeah. um, and that there's some form of self-sacrifice. Yes. You think of... Um, hunger strikes. I was going to say, yeah. what do you think of hunger strike as a... Uh, as well, a I mean, I... I, I 
Well, you know, it's horses for courses. It depends on on what it is and where it is. But if someone wants to do that to themselves as a as a demonstration, well, I'm not going to stop them. Yeah. Um, and and I think it's um, a bit hackneyed these days, to be honest. Um, mm. People sort of say, oh, I'm going on a hunger strike because they almost well, we know, of course, there were some examples in Ireland where they did go through with it very much yeah. so. Um, but in most cases, they don't. Yeah. There's a couple of the suffragettes did. One of the suffragettes went on Emily, uh, I can't remember. She threw herself in front of her heart. Under the, horse, the king's horse. Yeah. In yeah. the derby. He's going to win as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, so it, there, there, there are, I, I wouldn't, I, co I couldn't possibly, you know, commend that to people as a way to go. Although I, I, I would certainly uh, agree that some of them should be admired for the depth of their. Feeling on, uh, on their passion on a particular issue, yeah, 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 but I don't think you could possibly suggest that people should do that. But mm. certainly, I think I remember one of the things was my dad always used to say, "You've got to, you've always got to obey the law." Mm. But if you feel that something is so wrong that you can't, mm. that's okay, so long as you're prepared for the consequences. And the yeah, consequences yeah. are you'll yeah, go yeah. to prison. Yeah, yeah, um, and I've. I've Always sort of understood that. That's yeah. Uh, yeah, one of the ways you go forward with it. Yeah, um, and and oratory, the power of oratory as well, yeah. is something that and we, much underrated these days because you don't actually, hear much of it. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> no, it is, and like we think of Martin Luther King's speech. I know again, it's probably overused, but um, they were very powerful words, weren't they? Oh. Unbelievable! He's in. He's in my new essay, by the way, which right. we'll come back to in a minute. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I. The, the, it's funny the old party conferences, which nowadays are anodyne, yeah, pre-designed, you know, auto-cued, made-up yeah. affairs, yeah. in which everybody says the same thing, yeah, in slightly different ways, but gets the same result, which is nothing. Yeah. Um, but years ago, it wasn't like that. No, they're, they're heavily years ago, you would, And you can see film mm. on YouTube of Nye Bevan. I'm coming back to Nye Bevan again. Mm. Of Nye Bevan standing up when he was Shadow Foreign Secretary in 1957. Uh, and the Labour conference was going to vote for unilateral nuclear disarmament. And Bevan had always been opposed to nuclear weapons. I mean, he'd never been in favour of it. But he said of that particular thing, by all means, let's get rid of these weapons. But if we do it on our own, it will be meaningless. It's got to be universal. Mm. He said, if you get have a policy and you get rid of all our weapons, he said, you will send any British Foreign Secretary naked yeah. into the conference chamber. Yeah. yeah. And that's where that phrase comes from, was that speech. Yeah. yeah. And, okay, I didn't know if you agree with it or not, but the power of that speech yeah. was incredible. And you can see others. You can see Margaret Thatcher made some good speeches from uh, in in her, mm. according to her lights, in her uh, rabbling the oh sorry not rabbling but <laughs> um, mustering the masses behind her. Mm. <laughs> and Enoch Powell, he of not very friendly memory, yeah, was, was nonetheless a brilliant orator. The rivers of what was this? Um... 
rivers of blood speech. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go along with much of what he said at all. But yeah. the funny thing about him, and I, I remember saying this to people, my dad said it to me. You can listen to one of his speeches, and you go for it point by point. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, mm. I agree with that. Yeah, mm. I agree with that. And he gets to the end, and he said, "Well, if all of that is true, then this must be true." And he comes up with some blood curdling bloody prophecy. Yeah. yeah. And he, well, no, I don't agree with that. He was so clever to be able to lead you down this road. Well, we we did. I remember having this conversation with you. I remember having this conversation with your dad. Yeah. And um, whether this was some dark art of manipulation, where I agree with you, you you would take each of the points, mm. the distinct points that he would make, and you couldn't argue with them. Yeah. Um, but the way he would bring that to a conclusion would be something that would be completely opposite to, you know, your values and, and what you felt was right. Absolutely. Um, but there was some, I don't know, warped logic in the way that he got you there. And I wonder is that, that, that comes back to me sometimes when I hear um, just some messages that go out in the form of either misinformation or a misinterpretation of something. I mean, even the point you made earlier on at the start by saying, 10,000 teachers, you know, yeah. in a TikTok thing, like, you know, our logic tells us, well, if that's true, then <clears throat> that's completely wrong. But yeah. of course, we're starting with a mis- piece of misinformation. So is there a bit of that, the, the art of manipulation, um, is that actually happening? In, well, in- oratory is the art of manipulation, isn't it? It's the highest form of manipulation. Yeah. But it's basically argument when you're trying yeah. to convince someone that what you're saying is the is the truth or the best way forward. Yeah, so long as your 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 fundamental points that you make are of truth or oratory in the form of a vision of what good would look like, you know, what the world should look like. And everybody agrees, everybody nods when you, you know, you, you articulate this sort of ideal, yeah. idealized utopia of imagine what I would like. I have a dream speech. And um, one of the just coming back to um, th- that definition that your dad said, um, you know, if you if you if you find that you can't stay within the law as part mm-hmm. of your protest, then you have to be prepared for the consequences. We've had some good examples of a you know, citizens that are um, the water charges when they were introduced, you know, yeah. that people were, and um, we've probably had a dip in license fee payments where people feel, you know, RT's performances last year mm. gives them some justification in saying that type of a protest is probably something that is, is interesting. Again, Often not led, it's individuals making decisions as opposed to it being some kind of a leadership uh, driven behavior. I'm not quite with you in terms of the point you're making. I suppose the point I'm making is that a the difference between where people make a decision themselves, because the whole spirit and theme of this is protest. Yes. So I can be part of something to make a protest. Or I can decide myself to make an individual protest yes. by, by not doing something or by doing yes. something. And that those individual protests, the cumulative effect of those individual protests can be quite powerful. That bottom-up, if you like, protest. Um, well, I think, the, yeah, the bottom-up protest, it depends how you're doing it and who's doing it and where they're doing it. 
because if you find, you know, if if it's often said that British MPs measure the opinion in their um, in their constituencies by the weight of the number of letters they get on a certain subject. Mm. Um, they just weighed them as old, oh, you know, they shouldn't be worried about this. So if you get a lot of people expressing a view um, to whoever, it has been MP, it could be to the BBC or whatever, um, <clears throat> that can make a difference. Now, mm. it makes a difference with elected representatives because they want to be re-elected. So uh, they will listen eventually. Yeah. At least they will make a pretense of listening, if nothing else. Mm. Organisations like the BBC, no, as we said last week, mm. you know, 10,000 complaints and 67 would, were found justified because it was the BBC doing the investigation that decided itself. So it depends where you're doing it and the sort of organisation that you're up against. I mean, the principle of mass demonstrations, marches all over the place, is very, 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 principle and practice, is very well established mm. in the psyche of both Ireland and Britain. It's mm. it's certainly something you can do. It's something that works mm. in the sense that you quickly get um, publicity and you get notice. And so, no, you know, you might, you might piss people off as, as mm. much as um, enthuse them. Mm. Um, but that's but, the chance but, but things, like, things like boycotting, you know, is yeah. still we still we still use that. I think yes, as, a uh, bit. Yeah, I don't think as much as we used to, but yeah, yeah. Um, I, want I to, never used to buy South African goods. No, neither did before, I. Before yeah. apartheid disappeared, yeah, yeah. And my my dad actually was very active in the Dun Stores workers, unbeknownst to us, um, mm. used to spend a lot of time picketing um, Dun Stores. Mm. But, well, it was the two, yeah, two women that came out and strike. Um, yeah, I still think there is an element of 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 that that goes on. One thing, um, to, responding to the protest, do you remember? Um, was it John Prescott that? Uh, <laughs> for those of you who haven't seen it, Google John Prescott and egg protest. Yeah, um, egg demand. A guy egged him right sort of within an arm's length and he just turned around and decked him, didn't he? And and John Prescott was not just an MP, he was he was a member of the cabinet. Oh yeah, he was. He was minister, yeah, yeah, minister yeah. of power. Minister. Um, he might have been deputy prime minister, actually. Could have been deputy prime minister. So <laughs> and got away with it. Yeah, I mean, well, he'd been assaulted with self-defence, wasn't it? And he threw a good right hand, one has to say. But not even legally got away with it. The public mood he got away with. Absolutely. I think his stock went up no end. It did, it did, actually. Because the general feeling was that that's what everybody should have been doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, John so, Prescott, have a look at that. There's a name to conjure with. Yeah, yeah. Um, Two Jags Prescott. What was his nickname? Two, two Jags. Jags. Yeah, yeah. yeah, That's what Private Eye called. Because yeah. at one time he had two Jaguars. <laughs> um, anything else that we haven't covered off on this topic? Um, <clears throat> is the, is the well, media I... reporting sometimes influence as well how protests are perceived? Yeah. Well, yeah, it depends which one you read. I mean, if it's, you read the Telegraph, 
um, you'll get um, how outrageous it is that these people should bring London to a halt for selfish advantage. Mm. Um, if you read the Express, it will say something like child killer found amongst marchers. Mm. Um, uh, the Guardian will say brave upholders of the working class set their views on Whitehall. Or, I mean, you could judge, you could guess what they're going to say uh, before they actually come to it. Does, does that um, constituent of the very conservative, um, you know, establishment-minded citizens, do they accept any form of protest, um, you know, beyond a strongly worded letter to the Times? Uh, like, is there, That is there... was a very effective form of protest, actually, yeah. if you go back far enough. But do, do, do they accept anything else beyond that? Do they think all forms of protest beyond that are unacceptable? Um, yeah, because they were generally sort of semi-aristocratic, the Tories. Mm. But there was a lot of marching going on uh, in the 30s, say, especially the 30s and the 20s. Um, there was, of course, going back to the 1840s, you've got the Luddites yeah. who marched. And although they were their motives were called into question at the time, and there was a lot of worries because this around 1848, the year of revolutions, that was um, that was a time when they were worried the same thing would happen here, and it nearly did with the Luddites, but they were bought off in the end. And actually, the right, they were bought off by the Tory genius for avoiding um, revolution, and that's basically you give in a bit, you give them what they want a bit, Mm. over time and then it all goes away and that's exactly what happened and the same thing happened in 1926 um it happens every now and again but But i think well one of the things that came to me actually as you were speaking was the i wish we could inculcate in our children and grandchildren the importance of oratory, the importance that they mm. learn how to say things themselves mm. and that they stand up for their views. Mm. Um, I think there is much too much uh, stuff going on at the moment where there are things that can't be said yeah. or shouldn't be said yeah. or positions that shouldn't be taken. Now, okay, there's always been those positions to some degree, mm. but it seems to me that a very large part of public discourse now is very much... Um, Restricted, yeah, but not yeah. not by any law. They're restricted by the social restrictions, social restrictions yeah. of the day. Yeah, and we ought to get away from that. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that, and and I do think <clears throat> as well. Just coming on the end of this conversation, protest has been a very very important way for us to develop and to move forward, and you know certain protests that have actually allowed us to take big leaps forward in the emancipation of women. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the introduction. Oh, of, it's extremely important. Yeah. Um, so we should embrace it. And and uh, it's not something that we should just immediately disregard or, or, or disrespect. Um, but there are ways of doing it. I agree with you completely. I think the power of communications and being strong communicators uh, are absolutely essential. Um, and I suppose if that was the one takeaway from this, it would be, you know, how would you on a one-to-one basis just sit down and convince somebody? Forget about going out onto the streets. First mm. of all, practice sitting opposite somebody and, and convincing them that your cause is just 
and that they should take some action. Yeah, I think the key to it is is being prepared to listen as well as being prepared yeah, absolutely. to talk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I start saying like you now. Um, yeah. yeah, you have to be able to see the other side. Yeah. And you yeah. have to make sure that the other side is always facilitated. Yeah. Because if you don't, when they're in charge, it'll be you that gets the hammer. Yeah, and, but also, and, you're not going to you know, learn. You're not going to No, learn. you're not going to learn. No. Yeah, yeah. Good. Um, okay. Enjoy that. Right. And um, No, I'm going to add something. Yeah. Not to gonna... that speech. I'm no. going to talk about a new idea. Yes. Yes. We're going to start doing just occasionally we'll put up some um sort of single person essays if you like we call them essays but in fact we're going to call them um oh what did i say i was going to call them i've forgotten now articrats no articles no arty um lects Artilects. Artilects. Right. See, we only thought this up this morning. So, so um, just break down that. The, yeah, it's, it's sort of arty being sort of part of artificial hipsters, and lect you can add on to intellectuals or lectures, lectures, and, and right. so on. So, so, just so that nobody's confused. It's not arty in the way that it is artful. It's arty in the way that it's artificial. Have I ever been involved in anything that was arty? Oh, I just wanted artistic? to make sure. I just wanted to make sure everybody was clear. <laughs> yes, no, it's no, it's artificial. So it's artilects, and these will be um, a bit shorter than our usual offerings, but um, yeah, we will put them in. We'll feed them in every now and again as there's something interesting. And there's one in preparation at the moment, which will probably come up in the next couple of weeks. And then so it, it can then form the, the basis of a broader pod, perhaps. Well, quite, quite possibly, yeah. It could be a briefing document for a pod. Yes, yeah. I, can th- I think the first one probably will be. But A so. pod about a pod. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Look forward to that. So Have a great I. week, Jim. I'm I'm visiting your hometown again this afternoon. Oh, my God. Yeah. You do get, where are you going now? Uh, I'm going to, well, London, as yeah. London, your hometown, but specifically Horsham, just south of London. Horsham, very yeah. nice too. Yeah, yeah. Down in Leafy, is it Surrey, isn't it? Surrey, yes. Yeah. I'll be there for um, two nights, back Wednesday night. Yeah. Oh. Looking forward to it. Bill's not going to it's not far from there. Yeah, but, no, uh, we said that. We need to check in sometime. Yeah. We're back over yeah. again in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And we're actually going to Abba Voyage as well in... Um, Wales mid mid February now. <laughs> <laughs> Abba Voyage is the name of the Abba concert. Um, oh God! Yeah, yeah. Okay. The um. Uh, anyway, in fact, going to be fascinated by the technology, but I'll tell you all about that. Um, yeah, do yeah. Here at the yeah, time. it should be very interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Have a great week. Okay, dear boy. You mind yourself. Well, Take care. I will see you. Doctor Lair. Cheers. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to keep up to date with us, then go to our main homepage on Spotify and press the notification bell or the follow button. Then, up to date, you will be kept. This podcast is a production by Artificial Hipsters.